Good afternoon, Hope Covenant Church. Pastor Brian here, coming to you with our seventh episode of Quotes from Quarantine. Sitting across from me today, as always, is Rachel Lassen, our Director of Worship and Youth. Hello, hello. So we are coming to you, it's a Thursday afternoon, it's Monday, Thursday, it's Holy mm-hmm. Week, and uh, and we're just excited to come and to bring a few things. Uh, we're going to do a couple different things today because it is Holy Week, because it is Monday, Thursday, and we'll get to that uh, in a few moments. I thought what I would do, Rachel, as we begin is just to kind of do just to kind of do a basic check-in. Sure. And uh, talk about a few things that we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. I think the value um, hopefully of these podcasts is that it keeps our congregation current with what's happening and and some of the things that are going on here at Hope but also within the larger uh, kind of community. Yeah. So on Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, the governor uh, gave uh, another announcement basically extending the stay at home through May 4th. I am very curious why he picked May 4th. Maybe it's because he wants Minnesotans to be free again so they can celebrate Cinco de Mayo on May 5th. That is a... It's a theory that that I have. It is a theory. I don't think it's true, but it's a possible... Could it be the Star Wars May the 4th be with you? I know. That's the other element. If I had a drum, uh, I would do a... Were you actually going to say that? No. I'm just glad that you, you riffed it on that one. That was good. I don't even know Star Wars stuff. So people get mad when I say that. They're like, you're not a fan. Don't You don't get to say that. So there was a moment last night in our leadership team uh, Zoom call uh, where we're just meeting every week and just making sure we're, we're staying up on things. And at the end, Sandy Dopkins has been quiet the entire time, <laughs> just kind of soaking all in. That's what Sandy does. She okay. just She's quiet, she listens, and then she drops some major wisdom in the conversation. And at the end of the conversation, uh, she was asked to pray, but before she prayed, she all she like went Star Trek on us, and she used all this language from Star Trek and about you know going you know in, into the great unknown. And, <laughs> Did and she know she was using that kind of language? Yeah, you talk about you know we're all on the bridge and we're all making these decisions about what? you know going beyond, and I'm like. We're all just like, we're all just dying because here's Sandy who was just dropping wisdom on us using Star Trek. <laughs> it was amazing. Little do we know that she's wearing a Star Trek t-shirt like under every outfit. And she's just doing just, the, yeah. the Vulcan That's gesture. That's awesome. That's awesome, Sandy. So we're still, again, we're still trying to figure out what all this means. Uh, so May 4th, we know, is the stay at home. You know, I'm sure that we'll, we'll know more about that if they extend it even beyond that. We are prepared to continue to do what we're doing kind of longer term. Um, you know, we're looking, so we'll be doing Hope Live at least through the 3rd of May because that's the state home order. And I, my hunch is that we'll probably be doing it well beyond that as well. Right. As Lydia and I keep saying, we're still waiting for hair and makeup to show up for the live stream. I mean, I keep coming and it's not here. It's not here. So it's got to keep coming. So somebody can help us out there. <laughs> So that, um, yeah, and again, we're trying to pay attention to that. We're looking at what the summer could be. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out the CDC policies. We've looked at even trying to do maybe an outdoor option in, in our parking lot. I mean, again, we're just trying to think of all these different things. And when we know what kind of allowances we have, we'll, we're kind of ready to jump on those things. Mm-hmm. You know, Rachel, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, too, is um, you know, the possibility probably next week, I'm thinking to maybe do some informal kind of Zoom uh, kind of conference calls, 
you know, allowing the church, inviting the church to kind of come and yeah. and to kind of zoom in, maybe a kind of a, a lunch. Maybe That'd we're hosting fun. a little kind of lunch gathering where people are kind of checking in. Because the thing that I noticed even this morning as people were coming in to get their Easter bags, which was amazing, it was just how good it was to see people again yeah. and how much chatter was happening <laughs> even at a distance as people are coming in. So, again, I think it would be good just to have kind of congregational gatherings if for any other reason, just to stay connected. So I'm thinking about that That's um, sweet. next week. Um, we did hear that the sound on Hope Live on Sunday was not the way that it was supposed to be. It was too low. I've heard that from yeah. many people. And we knew that you know, shortly after the service. I just want people to hear that we recognize it and we are working to fix it. And it should be back to normal, even better than normal uh, on Sunday for Easter. Yeah, that's the hope. You couldn't hear, but we heard your requests. Yes. Loud and clear, and we were grateful for that. But, man, there's so many things running at the same time on a Sunday morning that it can be a lot. So, But we're excited that yep. we have that kind of figured out and ready for Easter. Yeah. So that'll be fun. So we actually uh, shot a video this morning for uh, the Easter service. The, uh, the tech guys, Caleb and Mitchell... Uh, we went to Calvary Cemetery, and our goal was to get, you know, just do a kind of a cool little kind of bumper video in the cemetery, kind of talking about Easter morning. And I, um, I in my mind, thought it was going to be much warmer like it was <laughs> a couple of days ago. E what I, my body discovered when I got out of the car is that it was winter again, and I had left my jacket here at church. Mm. So I knew that, so I brought a, a blanket with me. <laughs> So I'm literally walking around this graveyard with a red blanket to try to keep me warm. But when I'm shooting the video, I couldn't I couldn't wear it, and um, and that was cold. That was a, that was um, kind of hypothermic, right. core temperature dropping cold. Well, you kind of got sick, right? After I, I don't know if sick, but I definitely needed to go home, and I definitely needed to like find ways to, warm to back increase up. my core temp again. Yeah. But Do we, you check the weather? I did check the weather. Okay. But then I realized I left my jacket here. Okay. And I thought that I had another winter jacket, but yep. I think we got rid of it when we moved, which was unfortunate. That That is unfortunate. But I'm really excited about this video, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I and you're going to see that maybe wait. I'm just going to be a little cold. Right. But, it's, again, it's all for Jesus. It's all for the Lord. So uh, for our, you know, co you know uh, entertainment kind of component of our podcast mm -hmm. we modified it because it's, it's again it's holy week it's mm -hmm. monday thursday so we kind of we're kind of focused our our fun a little bit today yeah focused fun so yes. we're taking an, an idea we did last week and we've modified it so we're going to go back to the movie docuseries mm -hmm. kind of idea plot line but we're doing it in the context of uh meaningfulness of meaningfulness and holy week so they won't be super silly they'll be a little bit more focused yep and the question is, what angle, what story would we want to tell through a series, a TV show, or a movie that hasn't been done yet? So if you think like The Passion, The Passion is like this major piece of cinematography that tells the story of Jesus and the mo gruesome movement from uh, the place of persecution to the place of the cross. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, well, let's tell a story, but that would be different than that. Right. That hasn't been told already. But like 
A biblical story, right? A biblical story, yeah. Yeah. We were texting about this, and I was like, the whole time I like came up with an idea, and I was like, I hope this is we're on the same page. <laughs> Otherwise, this podcast is going to be weird. But I think we are. Okay, so do you want to go first? <laughs> I'm scared, because, but I will. But you, yeah, so part of the fun here is that we don't know each other's ideas. No. And you kind of assume that maybe we have the same ideas, which I'll be really curious to see right. if our wavelengths are, are connected on this one. I think the amount of time that we have spent together in the last month, our brains are slowly meshing together, for better or for worse. I would say that as a, there's a team of us, of like six of us, yeah, that's that a better feel statement. like we have become, you know, kind of a family of sorts. Yeah, we're our own little community here, and yep. we have our own little inside jokes now. And All under 10. I mean, there's, there's less of, than 10 of us. Right. Less than, I mean, there's really four, maybe right. five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do, if this is correct, we're going to do a movie and, like, a TV series. Yeah, I have a docu-series, but you have I TV also series. have a docu-series. Okay. So why don't you go with your movie first? Okay. So... <laughs> Let me gather my thoughts here. Okay, so I, again, I just have the concept because I'm going to let the real movie creators, like, come up with the details. Yeah. But I have a like couple... Mel Gibson. Yeah, I have a couple ideas. Number one, first of all, and I'm not pointing blame at anyone, but I want, in this movie, I want it to be a legit movie, okay? I don't want the cheesiness factor, I don't want to exist, Okay. Like, I want this to be for all audiences. Um, and so some movies have been released that are more Christian-based. They can be a little on the cheese side. <laughs> Pastor Brian's just nodding his head. <laughs> but And I think they're meaningful and stuff. But this video, I want it to be, or this movie, I want it to be a little bit more like for the big screen. Right. So keep that in mind. So it has writing that is comparable to the kind of writing that we see in major motion films. That's a way less offensive way to say that. Yes. So, um, so yeah. So basically, I, I was trying to come up with the name of it, and I couldn't come up with anything that wasn't cheesy. So I think I'm just going to call it Jesus. Okay. That's original. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> but it's basically the story of... People that had encountered Jesus throughout his lifetime, and it's the story of them before, in the moment they met Jesus, and then what took place in their life afterwards. Okay. So you would take the moment from Scripture that we have, like the moment yep. that they met Jesus, but we would create a story yep. of like diff of before and after, like how, and the whole premise would be like how that moment with them meeting Jesus affected them. Yep. So you take like the bleeding woman and, and Mark six and right. and you would kind of one of my examples. Oh, would it? Well, there yeah. you go. So so it would be a couple different stories and they would all kind of mesh together at some point. Okay. So the people that I would definitely want to have in there was the woman at the well, the yep. Samaritan woman. Yeah, from John four. Yep. Yeah, and just her life before then, because we talked about very much how she was on the out uh, outs of society. But then she, after meeting Jesus, became one of the first evangelists. I thought you said you just had the basic idea. I have more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple things. Uh, but I only have three more people. I want to see James, who was Jesus' brother. Mm -hmm. And if I'm correct, you would probably know more than me. He didn't really believe that Jesus was... God until after his death and resurrection. 
Is that correct? Well, there definitely was some confusion there around was confusion. Uh, who Jesus was, and right. and again because they were family, it was a you right. Know, there's so that I want to follow his story, yeah. and then he actually ended up writing James, mm-hmm. the book of James. Um, the other two I want to see was the woman who was the adulterer. Yep. That was brought out to be stoned, but I also want to see the other person involved in that, the man. I want to see his life and if it was changed at all by this woman's dramatic experience. And then I want to see someone, (laughs) I want to see someone, one of the Pharisees that actually saw Jesus die and then started to believe. Yeah, like Nicodemus. Like Nicodemus. There you go. Yeah, so that is my movie idea. I love how this is a role reversal because I have very, very simple plot line. Whoa. That is completely undeveloped. Okay, perfect. And I'm just calling mine the giving tree. So I'm uh. actually looking at the story of from the vantage point of a tree. And so it captures the kind of historical reality and has all these stories that would have taken place in and around. You could even have Zacchaeus in the tree, Mm. but ultimately becomes the tree that becomes the cross for Jesus. And so you're just kind of tracking kind of events that took place in the presence of that tree and ultimately the future of that tree. Wow. You didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming because I think like, I honestly think like we came up with each other's ideas. Okay. (laughs) But speaking of that, there is a book that's written from the perspective of trees. Have you read it yet? I was going to say. Yep. What's it called again? Well, I call it The Giving Tree, which is a rift off of... That book? Well, no, it's the, it's, I mean, The Giving Tree is the name of this book. I. We all know because we're crying. Right. It's a sad book. It's a green cover book and someone I know is going to remind me of that. Yep. All right, yeah. so that's the movie. What about the docu-series? Okay, this is where I think we're going to have the same one. Oops, I there's, don't even have it written down. There's no way that you're going to come up with this. All right. Um, this docu-series is called The Places He Walked. Okay. Is it sounding like yours? No. Okay. I told you there's <laughs> no way that ours okay. is going to be any similar The reason I think it's similar is because you have been over to Israel right. and the places he's walked. Yep. So you have like actual pictures that we put up in confirmation, which is... I think that's why I want a series like this, because it's been super meaningful. We'll be talking about the story of David and Goliath, and you pull up the Valley of... Elah. Elah. I was going to say Isha. The Valley of Elah, and like tell us the story of being able to see it from that vantage point. So basically, docu-series, um, again, not cheesy. I want to bring in the best biblical scholars and like all these different voices and people um, to show... Like this, uh, specific scenes throughout the Bible, yep. and kind of like draw, like take them now and then draw it out, like how it would be, and just I don't know, I don't have it super developed, right? And I hate to burst your bubble. Does that already exist? But it already exists, and there'll be some people that hopefully have heard this podcast. Wow. Um, assuming that they do listen, who would say, "Silly Brian and Rachel." <laughs> There's already a series. Jim Vanderlyn, Vanderlyn. Oh. Uh, he did something very, very similar. In, darn it. Yeah. So, but Actually, not darn it. I'm glad it exists. Yeah. So here's where mine is again. <laughs> so I watched a series once uh, where, or a History Channel episode, where they identified some, some pottery, and mm-hmm. they came up with this theory that um, sound waves uh, could be captured on the surface of the pottery as it was made. And so they used the premise 
of a record recorder and the needle that uh, that uh, picks up the signal on the surface. They adopted that that principle from a record player and applied it to pottery to see if they could pick up the sound of the of whoever made it or whatever's happening at that time. Because the sound waves oh uh, hit the pottery, the idea is that it would make an imprint and then you could find it as you as if you were putting a, it under a needle of a record player. So I have the storyline then of an archaeological dig around Jerusalem. Mm. And uh, as they're looking at the ruins of these pieces of pottery, they put it through this test to see if they could identify the actual voice of Jesus. Wouldn't that be crazy? It would be. Right. So that's where I knew that you so probably... So this is a legit thing. It is science that is very much in a... Um, interest category like oh right, right. you're taking a they're taking a principle and trying to apply it but when they did it to that piece of pottery they didn't it didn't really work right but so it's still it's in a the stretch yeah but i thought it's That's an interesting because cool. again you look at the history channel like a lot of them are just kind of like oh you know aliens yeah isn't that interesting like we should research this because i'm sure you know yeah they don't actually legit know that and by the time they get to the episode, end of the episode they're like yeah well it really didn't work but it's they drag you through this process of like well wouldn't it be cool if and i'm saying wouldn't it be cool if that would be sweet. we could capture the voice of jesus yeah i mean there's a mm, i don't want to go too theologically in depth but here we go <laughs> no there's a there's the source that a lot of the gospel writers had that had like some of jesus's quotes they think mm-hmm. I think it'd be sweet if they found it. That's Q. That's called Q. Yep. Yeah. I didn't learn about that till college. Yep. We kind of don't think they'll ever find it, do we? Well, I mean, the, I don't think that they're going to, well, I don't know. Maybe they can find it. The reality is that most of our Gospels is built off of Q, or right. at least Q is a source. And so, but yeah. I, so that would be my docu-series, actually, Finding Q. Finding Q. Yeah, since the other one already exists. That's true. Good recovery. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we're going to stump the pastor. And this is a question that came from one of our students, uh, one of our confirmation students. We've asked them every week to give us fresh questions. And here's, uh, here's a question that is very different from the other questions that we've wrestled with. And the question is this. If someone you uh, know lost faith in a church leader, can they still have faith in God? Will God be mad at them if they don't go to church? So this is the first question that is more personal and pragmatic than it is theological and philosophical. Yeah, it's a great question. And I just want to acknowledge on the front end that I love the spirit of the question. Mm-hmm. Because it's honest, and yet I look at it and say it's hope-seeking is how I see it. So I have no idea what the context of this question is. And Rachel, you and I even talked yeah. about this a little bit off-air. So I do feel uh, that I'm a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to trying to answers question well. And so my question may be a little more long-winded than it needs to be just because I want to make sure that I come at it from multiple angles um, because I don't know the context. I think first and foremost, um, the person who wrote this is a person who cares deeply about their friends and about this person who's going through this. And I want to celebrate that. I want to I want to commend that. Because I think the first important step there is to listen and to care well for this person who's who's actually wrestling through this. So I think it begins with empathy. I think it begins 
with uh, us or this individual student who is going to this person and, and listening and trying to put themselves in the position of, of where they're at. But I also think it's good to begin with the question, what does it mean to actually lose faith in a church leader? What does that actually mean? Is it a, is it a personality difference? Is there a disconnect? Like, I just don't, I don't get that with the way that person acts. Is it something that they said? Is it an offhanded comment? Is it a, you know, is it a goof in, in, in something that they said? Was it a, was it a moment when their patience was tested and, and they kind of lashed out? Or is it something that they did? Was it an action? Uh, is it something that they personally experienced? So is, is this student the, this, that is being cared for, is, that's having wrestling with this, with the church leader, is it their story or is it something that they heard? So is it first person or is it you know, second or third uh, hand? I think those are things that are kind of important to kind of process through. Um, I ask these questions because if it's in the variety of a personality difference, or if it's something that they said that was hurtful or, or wasn't helpful, the question is, is there room for reconciliation? I think in the end, the gospel calls us to seek reconciliation wherever possible. I would argue that there's already tons of disunity within the body of Christ. We do a lot to separate ourselves. Um, and sometimes there's legitimacy, and sometimes I'm not sure there is legitimacy. And again, I don't know the storyline, but I'm always cautious to say, Let's make sure that we're not creating distance between each other when there's an opportunity maybe for us to move towards one another. But I don't want to leave it there because I, I don't want to give the impression that what was said or done, which I don't really know what it is, I don't want to give the impression that it's no big deal. Uh, especially when dealing with minors, there may be a good reason not to pursue further communication or engagement with this leader. So I want to be really careful there. Again, without a context, it's a little hard to know how to respond, but I would say when it's possible and when it's safe, it is a good approach, uh, is a good kind of position to approach the person where there's disunity and seek some sort of clarification, seek some sort of shared understanding, and when possible, reconciliation. Again, outside of a situation where there is some sort of abuse, I want to be real clear, like that's a whole different ballgame. I would argue that for this person who's struggling, empathy is also an important place for them to go. I think it's important to seek understanding and, and a viewpoint of someone else. It may not be the way you see things. And it may be uh, a personality that is not like yours. I think it's important to try to give people the benefit of the doubt when possible. To manufacture an explanation for whatever it is that you, don't, you can't make sense of, but manufacture in a way that believes the best in them. Again, there's limits to this, but I think in general it's a good practice. I also think it's important to realize that oftentimes we put leaders on a pedestal and we elevate them to high places with high standards. And some of that is really legit and it's, it's fair, but it also means that when they fall, they fall hard and they fall long. So as a leader myself, I have to remind myself that I'm held to a higher standard. It comes with the job. It comes with the response, you know, that the role that I have comes with big responsibility. And so for those on the other side to remember that, that at the end of the day, these leaders are humans. And they're fallen. 
and they make mistakes and they're broken Mm -hmm. and they're on a journey to healing and restoration just like everyone else is. Yeah. I think like I've grown empathy for leaders ever since I got this job. I mean, really, because I suddenly realized how human I was and how I couldn't meet everyone's needs. But the good thing was I wasn't created to do that like Jesus was. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a, it's a burden to bear that's strange. Um, And I didn't feel until I was in a position of leadership, Um, but it gave me just compassion, I think, for other pastors and things who, I mean, we all say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We all struggle with um, patience and things like that. And so I think it's just putting ourselves in their shoes at times, um, but it's not easy, especially when a comment or something they did really hurt us. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a tricky balance there. Well, and that's where my next point is too. Uh, the hard piece when it comes to to faith and to faith organizations and churches is that there is a connection between a faith leader and the person, the being, the God that they represent. So I get why there's a connection here. I get why this student is wrestling with this. And yet, at the same time, we need to remind people that God is is bigger than those who have tried and have failed to represent him. Scripture is filled, filled with people who have, uh, who have biffed it in terms of representing God. And yet, in each of those narratives, God is able to come out on top somehow. So I would encourage this student of ours to encourage this friend of theirs to search for the God that sits behind the mess. Uh, to sit behind the God who, uh, who is beyond the mess of the people who are trying to become the hands and the feet of Jesus. I would say that, you know, kind of going to the second part of the question, I wouldn't say that God is, is going to get mad at this person because they're not going to church. I don't think that's the narrative. I don't. I think we have to be careful of the shame narrative there. But I do think it hurts the heart of God when there's an unnecessary distance between us and him. I think God wants this person to know how much he, he cares for them, loves them, and wants to be known regardless of the poor choices or whatever the issue was of the individual. There does need to be some separation there. So my last comment is, is to be safe in this journey, to seek reconciliation when possible, to, to believe the best as a, as a practice, a basic practice, to find the God that's beyond the mess, and if necessary, to find a faith community that is healthy and safe for this individual. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was just such a good question. As um, when I was a young adult, I found out that my youth pastor growing up um, had committed adultery. And I remember just feeling like, wow, this person who had poured into me and I looked up to a ton, you know, had made a mistake, a huge mistake. And um, it was just, I didn't know much about it because I I shouldn't. Um, I I wasn't like in a position to. but just watching from afar this 
youth pastor, you know, admit the sin and go through reconciliation and work this stuff out. I think I was, I was disappointed and I think I'm still working through that. Um, but again, I was just able to see the power of Jesus in my youth pastor's life and um, was reminded of how, you know, none of us have it all together, but it was really, it was hurtful. So I think there's, it's important for us to um, point to the fact that that is hurtful. And then I just kind of cling to the fact that um, Jesus is never going to ever, ever, ever let me down. Like, other human leaders will, mm-hmm. but Jesus never will. Mm-hmm. He never mm-hmm. um, will let me down, and he'll he'll be the perfect leader forever and always. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you see someone that you look up to fail, you can be reminded that, yep, humans, we can't get it right, but the Lord will always get it right. And yep. so that's something that I think I clung to as well. But I'm still working it out, you know, and trying to... Yeah, figure that all out. Well, I think there's another call there, and it's a reminder that as leaders, so I'm looking at, at you, Rachel, and, yeah. and sitting in a room, we have our tech team, and uh, we've been talking as, as a leadership team. I'm, we really emphasize at Hope this year, number one, developing teams and working collaboratively, but also that, that we're, we're creating a culture of healthy leaders, and it's so important, especially in today's um, kind of culture where there's been a lot of failure amongst leaders, ethical and moral failure amongst leaders, mm-hmm. that we are, as people on this journey of redemption and restoration, that we are seeking a culture of health in our, in our own lives and in our, our work lives. Yep. So the things that we're asking our, our worship team uh, leaders and our leadership team and our Sunday school teachers and ourselves, like how are we caring for our families and our marriages and how am I caring for my, my walk with Christ? How am I caring for my body? Mm-hmm. I mean, my mind, like how we, you know, whether it's um, collegiality and again, it's just so important that we as leaders continue um, not only to do it for ourselves, but also to create culture that we're part of that promotes health. I think, I think that's just a really important piece to that. Yeah, and a culture that, I mean, at times we will mess up. And so to have people around you where you can go and say, I'm I'm sorry, I yep. messed up. Like, even I think about you apologizing to me sometimes for things and just how that's a model of um, that we don't always have it together. And I've... I've appreciated that, and I think it's been a sweet, like, way of showing leadership. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's Holy Week, and today we're recording on Thursday, and now things get really kind of focused and maybe even degree intense as we go through the next four days from a reenactment perspective, a storytelling perspective. So Monday, Thursday, uh, Monday comes from the Latin word of command. And it's centered around uh, the, uh, there's really two scenes, but both reflect the same space, which is the Last Supper. And it reflects this phrase, do this in remembrance of me. So as Jesus uh, has this last meal and he forecasts, you'll hear this on Sunday when we take communion together, 
It is a promise that, that he is making that he's going to keep through the resurrection of offering his body as a sacrifice for life of the world. And so we reflect on that. We reflect on the nuances of this sacrifice. And so um, what we're going to do today is is we're going to do a spiritual practice. a little odd because it actually involves a piece of art that Rachel is looking at, Rachel and I are looking at. And what we're going to do is we're going to make this piece of art available uh, as it will come out in the email that will be attached to this spiritual practice in this, this particular text from John 13. And we'll put it in the bio as well, just so people can access it. It's a really powerful image. And so this is a, a, a prayer devotional experience where we read a text, which I'm going to do in a moment. And then we spend some time looking at a piece of art that reflects that text. And we're going to ask four questions for the Holy Spirit to kind of work within us as we engage the picture. So... Uh, So what we're looking at here is the text of John 13, which is Jesus washed in the disciples' feet, which is John's version of the Last Supper. It's his take on it. It's his kind of experience uh, with uh, that last meal. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to lead us through the three questions. Rachel, again, you can't see this, but she is uh, sitting across from me looking at this piece of art as she hears the words read over her, and then spend some time engaging the, the text. So we're teaching you um, by modeling uh, it for you this, morning, or this afternoon. So John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only uh, to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For you knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand What I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am now. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So this is John 13, verses 1 to 17. It's this epic text around foot washing. No other gospel records this particular scene, and John's the only one that doesn't tell the traditional story of, of communion. So four questions. So I, I'm giving those that are listening these four questions. I'll go through these quickly. But these are the four questions then that I would encourage you to use as you spend time in John 13 and in, with this particular uh, a painting. And you, and again, if you can't find this painting, uh, if it isn't easily accessible to you, I would simply Google foot wa- Jesus foot washing, John 13, and, uh, and take probably any of those images, I would imagine, uh, would have value in this experience. But the ideas are using something visual and allowing the Holy Spirit to draw your attention, your mind, and your heart to particular things in the text. So the first question is this, and I would just spend 30 seconds or so if I were doing this in real time and invite someone to spend some time with each of these questions, 30 seconds to a minute. The first question is, what images stand out to you? So simply to scan the image and just kind of let your eye kind of wander around the image and identify where maybe your attention is drawn to. Uh, are there particular images or things, objects in the text um, that are standing out to you? So again, you take a couple, 30 seconds to a minute to do that. Second question is, what emotions in this painting catch your attention? So now you're zeroing in on the faces and the body posture of the characters that are in the text. And you're looking at the emotions. Every good artist, as they're telling a story, is also trying to communicate emotions through the faces and the, and the dispositions and the way these characters are physically related to each other in that image. The third question that I ask, or I think is good to ask, is which character are you drawn to in the story? So you look at the objects, you look at the emotions, and you again with this, there's uh, in this particular painting, there's I don't know, there's half dozen to close to a dozen uh, faces in there, and so you're looking at how um, which of these characters in this current season of life that you're in, which one are you resonating with? If you did this a week later, six months later, a year later, you would probably identify with a different character, and that's perfectly okay. Because what you're doing is you're inviting the Holy Spirit to use this piece of art to teach you something about who he is and about what he is doing in your life. And then the fourth question is kind of the application. It's kind of the wrapping question. And that is, what do you think the Holy Spirit wants you to receive from this painting, from this, this depiction, this piece of art today? Not, you know, a month ago, uh, not when you were a kid, not in the future, but today, in this moment, what does the Holy Spirit want you to receive from this piece of art? So I, I'm, I'm putting Rachel a little bit on the spot. Um, you don't necessarily, I mean, give like 30 seconds. Is there anything going through those and hearing those mm-hmm. questions in real time? Is there anything that you'd want to say um, that stands out to you from this image now that I've taken you through it? Yeah, I mean... I couldn't help but notice, first of all, I noticed all the different ages of the disciples. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the particular man that he's washing, the disciple that Jesus is washing his feet, is older. And I don't know who that is, but I just, I think of, I just can't think of a lot of old men, older men that I know that would be like, yes, wash my feet. Mm-hmm. So it's a really like, he almost looks a little. I don't know how many young men also want to wash true. their feet. Or That's true. I'm just thinking <laughs> of like the old farmers that yep. I do. I mean, mm-hmm. they would just, this would never be a right. thing like growing up that they would do, that they would have done. And he just, I mean, he had to humble himself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like right behind him, there's a, a younger dude who's just like looking at the situation with like curiosity mm-hmm. and awe. And then down the table, you see someone who's just got his head in his hands and I wonder, could that be Judas? I mean, yeah. just knowing what he's about to do. And then you have another guy who's like ripping his sandals off. Um, so that's what just stuck out to me was all the different emotions that were present at the table. Yeah. And yet Jesus was aware of all of them. And he was the one that could minister and love all of them and was exactly what they needed. Um Another thing that you read in the text was that he loved them throughout his ministry and he loved them till the very end. Yeah. And I was even reading through this John 13 kind of into 14 or whatever this morning. And I was just reminded of, wow, Jesus knew what was coming. And yet he was so present and loving to his disciples. And again, it just affirms that Jesus is everything we need. I mean, he is everything we need. And so... I'm just touched by that. but. So when I was an island director at Shamina, uh, one of the things I did as a program director is we'd have the counselors come out for a night, and that's actually where I met Maria uh, many, many years ago. And w- they'd always come out for one night of training. They could experience the island, and we'd go to the point where we'd have chapel, and there's these, these benches, and, and we would, um, we'd tell them before the service that they needed to take their shoes off because when we would read the Exodus 3, the Moses, um, holy, ho- this is a holy ground space. So, again, we didn't let them know what was coming. Little but did they know. Little did they know. And then we would we'd sing songs, and then I'd come in with our program staff, mm-hmm. the people who were in charge for the summer, and we would, I would read this text, and we would be carrying basins of water, and we would spend that time washing the disciples' uh, feet, or our our uh, counselors' feet, uh, and and it was a symbol of humility that we're leading, but we're leading from a place of serving, mm-hmm. and we wanted to set the model and the example for what we what God is calling us to do, and then inviting them to do that as well for the campers. And the, so, anyways, right. that, this definitely resurrects a lot of powerful memories. I mean, it's powerful that Jesus. I mean, his last night with the disciples. This is what he chose to do, and then he gave the commandment love one another. Yep. I mean, that was that's kind of like Jesus's last teaching. Yep. Um which I would argue is like that what you just said that's a summation of Monday Thursday. Yeah, cuz yeah, commandment. So we we spend that time reflecting on how Jesus kind of landed the plane if you will of kind of the lessons that he's teaching his disciples. Yeah. It's a lesson of of humility, of service, of sacrifice, but also a, a promise that he's making. Right. You know, the body and the blood, there's reflections of the new covenant 
for, for the forgiveness of sins, to break the bond of death. Yeah, and I don't know if this is just me. You can probably help um, this. But as I was reading it this morning, I was like, wow, Jesus is being more straight up than I think he's ever been. Like, he's not speaking in parables as much. Like, he's like, an advocate is coming to help you. Mm-hmm. And this is what he will do. He will be the Holy Spirit. And, like, I'm going away like, yes, it was confusing, but I was like, wow, Jesus is kind of laying it all out there for them. Yeah, well, part of it is that the parables are oftentimes spoken in a context of crowds where there are multiple layers of people right. who are hearing him. And so, and again, and that's where that Mark 4 text is so interesting about who hears and who can actually hear. Yeah. But as as the crowds fall away and as the disciples become the epicenter of what's next, the teaching becomes much more direct. And that's because I think his audience is a little bit more uh, uh, finite, and it becomes the people that are going to embody it. And so I think Jesus speaks with more intensity and to some degree clarity um, because he's preparing them for what's coming. Yeah, and that's what I felt. It was interesting, though, because the disciples didn't really, like, they didn't always understand. So they'd be, like, whispering among themselves, like, hey, ask Jesus what he meant by that. Right, like literally, that's what the text. Well, says. and even thinking this, and too, I mean, calling, yeah. calling out the the betrayer. I mean, just think about what how that resonates in that. You know, who's it going to be? And you know, right. and again, he's calling it out, but yet, it's just an, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. So I'd encourage anyone to read that. I mean, a lot of things stuck out to me that yeah. you know, you know the story, but when you actually read it, you're like, wow, I kind of. And that's where I think this. the piece of art. I, I think I could be it. a really benefit yeah. because it's it's a visual nuance to the story that, so and again, this is an artist's depiction. So this isn't, I mean, you have to be careful how, you know, historical. I mean, you and I have commented that the color's off on on the, the people that probably should be darker skin. And so those things are all, it's an artist's depiction of something, but it can be a benefit to helping bring some of the text alive. I thought we'd close just a couple of announcements, uh, Rachel, as we kind of wrap up today. Uh, number one is uh, the Eastern bag. They're ready to go. Uh, all the supplies are there. They're all put together. We probably had 30 or so folks uh, stop by today, and it was really good to see people. And they'll be available tomorrow, Friday, and then Saturday morning, both from 9 to noon. We have family bags, and those uh, include a crescent uh, roll uh, or, like, you know, those little packages to go for the, with the resurrection, the biscuits. Um, and those are in the refrigerator, yep. so we want to make sure that the family bags get those. And then, um, um, yeah, so so 9 to noon for, for that. Tomorrow is Good Friday, uh, which is, again, um, the day that we sit in reflection of the actual death of Jesus. And um, so there's a, a number of things. We're going to put some resources out, but uh, what we're going to probably also do is uh, put some links of some churches that are doing Good Friday services and, and doing them really well um, that we know of. And just, again, another way to connect people to the power. We have in the past had a Good Friday service here, and just in terms of the season that we're in, that's not something that we obviously are able to do. And so we want to put people into contact with places that are doing that well virtually. And then just check your email for devotional videos. We put something out yesterday that had a video that I thought was really interesting about um, atonement and sacrifice and just giving context to understand the significance of what's going on. And then uh, an anticipation for Easter. And we're excited about it. Yeah. Uh, it's different. And we're going to be looking at four objects that help us kind of anchor ourselves in the power of Easter, which I'm really looking forward to, including communion. 
And so the, the, the Easter bags have communion in them. But what I'll let people know at the beginning of the service is if you don't, you know, if you weren't able to get it or if they're checking, you know, viewing in from a distance um, to, to go and grab some bread and, and some juice from, mm-hmm. from your, your pantry and be ready to join us. Because that will be actually the first part of the, of the service. So uh, Hope, Covenant, Hope Covenant and Friends, this has been Quotes of Quarantine, Episode 7 on Monday, Thursday of, uh, of Holy Week, 2020. Uh, a season unlike any other season. Mm-hmm. But as I come in this morning, as I was freezing out in, the, out in the, the graveyard, while everything has changed, there are certain things that we celebrate that have not changed. And on Easter is one of those, one of those occasions where while everything else feels like it's changed, uh, we celebrate something that hasn't, and that's mm-hmm. the truth of the resurrection. Amen. So Rachel Lassen and Pastor Brian, we are bidding farewell. See ya Sunday.